Shall we begin? Let's begin now. This is Dan Hughes of San Antonio Silver Stars, and you are listening to Dishing and Swishing and enjoying every minute of it. Hi, everybody. It's David Siegel, and we're going to squeeze in a second Dishing and Swishing podcast for you this week because there's just so much going on as we wrap up the WNBA season that just one during the week isn't enough. So it is a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast the coach of the Connecticut Sun and now the general manager as well, and that is Kurt Miller. Coach, how are you today? Great, David. Uh, glad to join you. Just arrived in New York City tonight. Well, coach, it's been a it's been a rapid rise, you know, starting as uh, Brian's assistant coach in LA last year to head coach to GM. Uh, congratulations on the success that you've had, and congratulations on the promotion first and foremost. Well, I appreciate it. You know, hard shoes to fill uh, with the departure of Christianko at the end of the season. Certainly a bittersweet um, working for a tremendous mentor and, and one of the premier general managers uh, the league has ever had, and, and he's done so much for the WNBA. So big shoes to fill, but uh, um, we'll miss him even more personally. Uh, shared a vision with this team and, and really appreciate that he and Mitchell and, and the entire organization took a chance on myself and our young staff. But, uh, um, you know, I've I told him many times since he announced that he was parting at the end of the season that, I'd work my tail off to uh, continue to develop the vision that we had together and what we thought could come of this very young team that uh, we have assembled uh, early in my tenure. You know, one thing that I have noticed with Chris over the years is, you know, you can, you know, a lot of, in a lot of cases, of course, the general manager and the coach, as will be here, are the same, one and the same. But when they're separate, you sometimes have that situation where the coach may not necessarily get the players that he wants to fill his system. And Chris has always been, he gave Mike the players that Mike wanted to fill the the Tebow way of playing basketball. And this year with you coming in, there's no doubt that the players that are on this team now fill the vision of what Kurt Miller basketball should be. And it's a young team that's been building to the success they've had of late and you know you can see now where when we started talking about things at the beginning where it's now developed with the team that's been put into place well certainly you know there's general managers out there in all professional sports that probably uh don't you know get out of their own way or have the ego that doesn't allow that coach to really explain and and help their own vision become reality with the players. Chris was tremendous, and he ultimately had the final say, and he was great to banter ideas back and forth, and and he was educated on uh, the players overseas. He was educated on the players that were eligible for the draft and completing um, their collegiate career. You know, ultimately, I think Chris as a GM is is tremendous to work for in, in terms of a coach because he really wants you to have a say. He really believes in the coaches putting together the type of players and the system and the style that they believe they can be successful with. So Chris not, has the ultimate say at the end of player personnel develop, uh, moves and trades and, and, and whatnot, but he ultimately gives a lot um, of control to the coaches, and I, and I appreciated that. 
But we sh- what was unique for us is we shared a common vision on how we were going to put the team together. So we worked very smoothly together, and, and that's why I'm going to miss him because we were able to banter things back and forth and, and really collaborate. But ultimately, we had the same vision and the same style in mind on how we wanted to play and how we wanted to build this team over the next few years. Well, the team sits right now at 11 and 18, 10th, right now 10th, but only a game and a half out of 7th. Five games to go, and they're all key ones, and they're all, of course, uh, with the exception of the Dallas game, four of the five are against teams that are in the fight for the playoffs as well, which will make it you know, a lot of fun to watch, but a lot of nerve-wracking, uh, high-intensity games for you. But really, I mean, you, you guys had dropped three in a row in June, but then since then, after the trade of Kelsey Bone for Courtney Williams as part of it, the team's been eight and five since, and really, Janae Agumake going into the post and manning that five spot really has been one of the keys. You know, you've talked about playing inside out. Well, absolutely, and, and certainly we're very excited about that eight and five record since the start of July, and, and five and two um, in our last seven games. And certainly, there's a vibe in that locker room that has really. Uh, started to develop. There's a chemistry, there's a culture in that locker room and accountability with each other. Uh, we have a young group that's very exciting to play and very, they, they, they lay it on the line each and every night. At the same time, we've still got some veteran leadership and Camille Little um, certainly looks over them and, and holds them accountable herself. But something truly started um, after the trade of Kelsey Bone and bringing over a, another young, dynamic rookie and in Courtney Williams, and and I knew it was going to take some time. Um, last year, working for Brian Agler, a veteran coach with a veteran team in L.A., we got off to a 3-14 and 14 start. So I knew even watching a veteran coach and veteran players struggle as they adapt to a new coaching staff, to a new uh, culture, to new terminology, to a new system, that it was going to take some time. But really excited with the play since July and we're trying not to scoreboard watch and just try to take care of ourselves in these last five games. And if it's not good enough to make the playoffs, we're certainly trying to use the momentum built since the beginning of July heading into next year and beyond. Well, there's no doubt that the team has been playing exceptional ball. And, you know, we can, we can certainly ask the Minnesota Lynx about that as, uh, you know, beating two, winning two out of three games with uh, the defending champions and top-ranked team in the league right now certainly speaks volume to the way that the team can play. Uh, so so next up is New York, and then three in a row at home, and those have got to be the key games in particular as you look at things. They're all, you know, technically, quote-unquote, most wins, but, you know, it must be nice to have those couple games in the friendly confines of the Mohegan Sun Arena. Absolutely. You know, and I, I, we really are disappointed that we lost so many close games in May and June at home, including three overtime games at home. Um, But we've played good basketball now at Mohican, especially since we've all come back from the Olympic break, and we hope to continue that and build on that momentum, again, not only this season but into the future. And and so we we know that uh, with Seattle getting hot, with Washington doing a good job since coming back from the Olympic break, uh, we thought maybe our magic number would be 14. It may need to be even higher. So it will be very, very difficult to get to that magic number with the teams ahead of us. 
not only are slightly ahead of us now, but they own tiebreakers, so we've got to clearly finish ahead of them uh, to gain a playoff spot. But if this wasn't about this season alone. We are trying to build a program that year in and year out could compete not only for the playoffs but make runs in the playoffs, and uh, this is the first step. And everywhere along the line for me as a head coach, there was a building process in Bowling Green before we won eight straight championships. There was a building process in that first year at Indiana before the second year we broke school records in, in terms of wins and postseason wins and, and national rankings. So um, everywhere I've been, there, there's a building process. We always hope it's shorter than longer. Um, but it, there was going to be the same here with Connecticut. I expressed that during the interview process. And we're excited how we're trending the second half of the season. You know, when you look at the, you know, hindsight is, of course, 2020. And you have two rookies that you drafted, three and four, that both had a history of knee problems. And both are out for the season with knee problems. Granted, Tux is the other knee. You know, any second thoughts when you sit back and look at the, look at that situation and you look at a, some, you know, a Tiffany Mitchell has played well, Powers has played well. You know, it's got to be a little bit difficult to to sit back and see your injured players there uh, when when you look back at what you have and what could be. You know, we don't, David, surprisingly, we don't do that. And like you mentioned, uh, Morgan talks as much time was invested looking into her knee issue. It is her completely different knee that unfortunately she injured in the game at Atlanta. And it was a knee that gave her absolutely zero trouble during her entire career at UConn. Um, and so it, it's just one of those things. And as for Rachel, you know, still give her a lot of credit for pain, playing through a lot of pain early in the season. She re-injured that knee early in the season, um, but it was an injury that wasn't going to get worse. And if she could pe- play through some of the pain, uh, we were going to play her as tolerated. So her minutes were sporadic at times where um, it was a little bit more difficult on certain days and certain nights than others. And when she did have uh, those stretches where it felt a little bit better, you, you saw the promise that she brings to a team that doesn't have a lot of perimeter shooting currently, not a lot of great catch-and-shoot kids on the perimeter and and so we're really excited about both of those. It's part of the game. Injuries, unfortunately, are part of it. But we're really excited how the other two rookies and Courtney Williams and John Quill Jones are playing. So we think those four, you know, form a core base to where we're going in the future. And and we knew it was a deep draft, and we knew that you could go a lot of different directions. And it's not surprising that players um um, all the way up and down that first round are impacting their teams. Um, it, it, it's not a surprise to us because we considered it a deep draft going into it. And, you know, to give credit, Bannum was leading the team in three-point shooting percentage when she got to, got injured, was shut down rather. <clears throat> so there's no doubt that, you know, she certainly could have added more to where you've been this year and will in the future. The one that nobody, I think, is second-guessing anymore uh, you know, it's always easy to say, oh, if they don't make the playoffs, they're going to be in the lottery and they don't have a pick. But John Quell has answered so many questions and shown so many flashes of what could be in her future that I don't think anybody questions whether or not giving up a lottery pick next year potentially for her was an outstanding trade. 
Well, I appreciate that. You know, we really investigated and, and, and thought that Morgan and her were the two premier uh, post players in the draft. Uh, John Quell's skill set allows her to come in and play at the five, but um, her ability to continue to improve away from the basket and handle the ball, pass the ball, uh, in the long run has the ability to play more and more four throughout her career. So the vision of playing her and Shanae together on the floor, the length was just tremendous. Um, knowing that Morgan then could, could again also stretch people at the four, but at times we could play a big lineup and, and move her to the three. Um, we said the next year's draft wasn't as deep. And if John Quell Jones was in the 2017 draft, could she go as early as the number one pick? And we bantered that around in our war room and truly believe that if you put Jonquil Jones in that 2017 draft, that she would go very high. So it was a risk that we were willing to take. Um, always difficult to give up a player like Chelsea Gray that has a promising future, is talented in her own right, and not knowing how for sure that 2017 draft was clearly going to play out. But it was a risk that uh, wasn't was not you know thought about uh, back and forth all the pros and cons. But we can't be happier that uh, we pulled the trigger. And, and John Quell is not only a great player, but she's even a better person, a pleaser, a tremendous teammate. Fan base is is just really really enjoying her. They cheer for her maybe as loudly as anyone other than the UConn players. And so it's really, really exciting to watch her um, develop this year and, and believe sky's the limit. And I will tell you this, this is an actual true statement that we've heard from over half the teams in the league inquiring about trades to try to get John Quell. And uh, we've made it perfectly loud and clear that she is not on the trading block and is not available to anyone, but just shows you the rest of the league is immediately seen uh, the potential and the star that she could become in this league. Uh, and the other person that I really want to talk about is, you know, I don't intend to, don't want to skip Bentley. She's been great. Camille Little has been a tremendous leader. But, you know, due to time constraints, got to talk about Jazz. Jasmine Thomas has always been, I, I always look at Jasmine Thomas and I've always said, Jasmine is the player that every team has her and always look, every year she's going to be replaced. They're going to find somebody else, and she's going to go back to being a bench player, you know, where she has done such a great job in the past. But nobody ever replaces her. She, she just, in Atlanta, here, she always just steps up, does what she has to do, and this year she's having a career season. Well, really excited with the year that she's had and, and with the injury to Rachel and, and needing to play her and Alex on the floor the, almost the entire time together. Um, you know, she's just having career numbers across the board in minutes played and points and assists. Her production is, is at an all-time high and can't be more proud of her. And the one unique thing that we're looking forward to, you know, hopefully making sure that she's back with us for years to come, is that she's never played for the same coach twice. So I, I'm looking forward to working with her. I'm a point guard coach. Uh, you know, I can hang my hat on through the years. Um, that the most accolades of players through the years that I've coached has come from that point guard position. And so it would be really nice for for her sake and her career that she has an opportunity to play for a coach for consecutive years because she's only going to get better. Um, great athlete, 
uh, great defender and warrior, lays it on the line each and every night. But, again, proud of the development throughout the season offensively, uh, and there's a reason that she's having career numbers across the board. And, and I think, um, you know, her best days are still ahead of her. She keeps herself in tremendous shape. And uh, I look for a very productive uh, next couple seasons for Jazz. So as you look back at what's happened early in the year and now, and you, you, know, you, you mentioned the regrets about the close games and the overtime losses at home. So when you look at things and you start to evaluate, what do you see as things that need to be improved on? Where do you see the next step to develop that consistency? that pushes you up to the next level. You know, obviously the start is everybody gets a year older. But going and then and everybody gets healthy would be number 2. But from there, what what do you see as the uh, the areas where the team needs to improve some to become more consistent and become a real playoff threat next year? Well, I think our our improvement even since July can be traced to the defensive end and and we've gotten better as we played a longer, bigger lineup. And so with a healthy Chenay, hopefully coming back next season from day one, the development of John Quell, um, the reemergence of Morgan in the lineup, that we're just going to continue to improve at the defensive end, which um, I think can be directly correlated to why we've improved the second half of the season. But offensively, again, we have to play inside out. Uh, we have not had a great year at the three-point line in terms of percentage or knockdown shooters. So we've got to continue to find ways to stretch the floor if that's addition with players that in any of the positions that can help us stretch the floor. But I think, uh, you know, helping us be well-rounded scoring-wise is going to help us. We haven't had an Anika, a healthy Anika Henry most of the season. Um, she, you know, probably hasn't played in a game and nearly – two months, um, and so depth in the post, uh, being able to continue to have depth in the post is uh, important to us, um, but, uh, you know, I, overall, getting these guys a year older, a second year under our system, just truly believe that uh, we will be ready um, in the first month of the season better than we were ready this year, and, and look forward to that. Well, Coach, there's no question, Mohegan Sun has been rocking since the Olympic break. You know, the crowd is into it. The crowd is are getting bigger. And at least if they're not getting bigger, they're certainly getting more conspicuous by their presence. They they certainly are, are into your team and the hustle that they've been giving. And uh, it's nice to see. It harkens back to a few years ago when the teams were uh, regulars in the playoffs. It's nice to see that kind of emotion from a team and the emotion from the fans. Now, Coach, we do have to talk about you stamping those feet a little bit, though, uh, you know, you know, you scare us sometimes in the media section when we hear we're watching the action. All of a sudden, we start hearing the Kurt Miller stop coming down the uh, coming down the sideline. Well, it's my trademark. I, it, you know, it doesn't take long to be around me that I don't have a booming voice. I I wasn't blessed with a great voice, so I, you know, I have to stomp a little bit to get attention. And, uh, but uh, you know, I. If there's no doubt that I wear my uh, passion on my sleeve. Everybody knows how passionate I am about this game, and I believe there's a right way to play. We're, we're blessed with a tremendous fan base, uh, an educated fan base, very smart X's and O's wise. But we're a different product than uh, UConn and, and what those fan base get to cheer during the collegiate season. We can't out-talent people, and we're not going to go beat people by 20, 30, 40 every night. 
So we got to outwork, out hustle, out execute teams. And so there's a different dynamic that the fan base gets to see, and, and I think they appreciate that win or lose, that you have a group out there playing together, playing passionately, laying on the line for each other. And uh, it's not always perfect, and we don't always have the most talent um, out there on the court, but uh, we're trying to create a culture that we're never going to get outworked, we're never going to get out-hustled, and, uh, and we're going to be a tough out each and every night. And I think that kind of blue-collar approach that we're trying to create night in and night out is winning this fan base over, and we look forward to it just growing and getting louder and louder because uh, they're great already, but there's still room to grow. And uh, I think once we get them in the Mohican, we can win them over and, and keep them coming back. There is no question that that is certainly an approach that I know that they enjoy. Now, the one thing, other thing that I want to talk to you about, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the on the court, but you are very important in off the court as well. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about your Real Men Wear Pink uh, commitment and contribution to trying to get information out there. As this is Breast Cancer Week in the WNBA, it is only appropriate that I give you the floor and let you discuss this great uh, cause that you're involved with. Well, our opportunity was uh, presented to us uh, an inaugural year in the state of Connecticut, uh, generated mostly out of the city of Hartford, but uh, Real Men Wear Pink campaign uh, that basically raises awareness and funds for the fight against breast cancer. And obviously, um, cancer has affected most of our lives. It has affected my life and my family. But most recently, um, a former player that I have coached has been diagnosed with stage four breast cancer at a very young age and a very, very, you know, disappointing news and diagnosis for uh, our extended basketball family. And so it's hit home even harder for me. And so, you know, had this opportunity to get involved in Real Men Wear Pink campaign, um, have pledged to wear pink at all our home games through the month of September um, at Mohican. And there's websites that you can go and donate funds again, to continue to help um, not only raise awareness, but uh, for the research that we all need necessary to find a cure, uh, a long-time cure for all cancers, but in this particular case, breast cancer. And so um, I'm excited to be a part of it, um, look forward to being a part of it, and uh, uh, the visual representation is that you'll see me on the sidelines in these last three home games in pink, I've been in pink uh, the, for the majority of our last few home games, but we'll certainly continue our three home games that we have remaining. And you will see as you look on our page on the Dishon and Swishin homepage, we're going to put a link there on this article to where you can go to Coach Miller's Real, Mer- Real Men Wear Pink page and donate to the American Cancer Society, something that I strongly recommend and suggest that you do if you can possibly afford it. Coach, congratulations on great efforts on the court, off the court, in the community. You know, it's phenomenal to see somebody with the dedication and interest in the sport and also in, like I said, in the community, uh, giving so much back and doing as much as they can to succeed. Uh, We appreciate it in Connecticut, and congratulations on the success and also the uh, general manager job as you are replacing 
Chris Yanko and becoming, I guess this is probably only the second general manager in Connecticut, that you are you are now uh, in an elite club. Well, thanks, David. I, I, I feel very blessed to be able to be a part of women's basketball for the last 26 years and chase my passion. Uh, I wanted to be a women's basketball coach since my high school days and, and to be able to live out that dream and, and passion um, I don't take lightly. And then to be a part of this great league now and, and um, a part as a head coach in the, in the 20th season of the WNBA is sometimes uh, mind-boggling to me, but very blessed. Uh, to be in a tremendous state that uh, supports and really appreciates good women's basketball. And and uh, we're looking forward to the future, and we believe it's only going to get better. And, uh, again, feel very fortunate and blessed to be a part of this great game. Thanks, Coach. Good luck the rest of the way.